Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Hey, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we love you. Praise the Lord. Father, you are so good. Full stop. You just are. Father, we love you. Lord, we ask for supernatural revelation. You would grant us your Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our understanding and the knowledge of you. We want to know you, God. We want to know you more. We want to know you more every day, God. We want to understand what you're saying to us. Lord, we want grace to know you and know you through your word. We want experientially to receive your love. Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith that you've given us. And Lord, we're asking. You said to ask for rain in the time of rain. Lord, you are pouring out your spirit. This is a season, the year of the favor of the Lord. And so, Lord, we ask for rain in the time of rain. We ask for more. Increase favor. Increase grace to understand, to know you. Lord, I'm asking for a grace to bring people back to their first love, Lord. Every time, Lord, they walk into this house, Lord, let that, the first love, that desire for you be stirred in their hearts. Lord, we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus and that you stretch forth your hand to heal and do signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. My father, he's a, a doctor, and uh, so he was very academic, but he had a great love, has a great love for poetry. And uh, he gave me his poetry book that's got all his little notes through it recently, and uh, Emily and I occasionally pull it out and have a little read. Anybody else like poetry? It's, it's an acquired taste, but I tell you, there's so much beauty in the words and in, in the gift of words, I think, is a beautiful thing. But one of his favorite poems uh, is a poem by Francis Thompson. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Has anyone ever heard of it? It was a poem people had to study years and years ago at school, but it was written by a Catholic priest it's interesting words. I'm not going to read the whole poem to you, but it, it, says, it starts like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. Up vistaed hopes I sped and shot, precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. I pleaded outlaw-wise by many a hearted casement, curtain dread, trellised with intertwining charities. For though I knew his love who followed, yet I was sore adread, lest having him I must have naught beside. And it goes on and talks about the feet following, following, following. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit who will never stop loving us. 
Hallelujah. And he was talking about how I tried to hide, I tried to run from God, but he was always there. And with unhurried chase, he was there. And unfailing, he just kept coming after him. And I love it for that. And it reminds me of the the love of God that never fails, that never stops. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how far you run from God. He'll never stop loving you. And he'll never stop trying to get your attention and telling you, I love you. I'm for you. I want you with me. But I have a slightly different view of the gospel to Francis Thompson. He had a very difficult life, um, a Catholic priest. But in his poem, he gives the impression, the clear understanding that his fear is that if I give in to God, I'm gonna have to give up all hope of ever being happy. I'm gonna have to give up all earthly pleasures. And so he keeps running away from God and thinking, oh well, In the end, God will finally get me. And you know, a lot of people have this view of God that if I I cross the line and I become a Christian, I'm just gonna have to give up everything. And it almost suggests that we have a perception of God that he wants us to be unhappy. We know in uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, it says that at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore, hallelujah. But people can interpret that and think, well, yes, I know. And that, this poem sort of suggests that, that when I finally die, yes, I'll have pleasures then. And um, yet it's actually contrary to the scripture. The Bible says that Jesus came to give life and life more abundant. He said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy, in the Holy Spirit. He said that I, I, above all, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers, hallelujah. David said in Psalm 27, I would have lost hope if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, hallelujah. So we know that the heart of God is for us to be happy, genuinely, truthfully. In this world we'll have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And that's not in that life, it's in this life, hallelujah. And so God doesn't want us to lose hope and think, oh, well, following God has to be a miserable, you know, um, ascetic sort of lifestyle. The heart of God is that you would enjoy life and life more abundant with him. But sometimes people get this idea that righteousness means foregoing everything that's enjoyable. I wanna just speak to that a little bit today if we can. Romans chapter five, verse nine. You got your Bibles, you can open up. The book of Romans says this, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Hallelujah. 
And that word reconciled in the Greek, uh, the verb reconciled actually means exchange. So because of our, the divine exchange we've engaged with in that we've given him our sin, our shame, our old crooked life, and we've received by faith his righteousness, we've been reconciled to God, hallelujah. We've been made fully qualified by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as we've had faith in what he's done, hallelujah. I wanna read it for you in the Passion Translation. It says here, there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we've heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. That's what God says to you, you know. You are now righteous in my sight. Don't call unclean what God has made clean. Praise the Lord. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God, all because of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. I love that word, triumphant joy. We have, as a result of being saved, a triumphant joy that can't be stolen, hallelujah. The joy of our salvation is knowing, praise the Lord, that I can wake up and feel not guilty. Oh, so good that because of the gift of righteousness, I can have supernatural peace, a true, genuine peace that, that lets me be free from anxiety and fear and worry and the concern that I don't measure up. You know, I used to really struggle with condemnation. I would all the time be picking on myself and judging myself. And you know, the trouble with that is that the measure that you use, you'll, it'll be measured back to you. And, and you, with the, the level that you love yourself is the cap on which your ability to love other people sits. In that when you are critical of yourself, you will be inevitably critical of other people. And I struggled to really love myself like God loved me. And to believe that I was as righteous as God was just a bit of a scary concept. It almost didn't seem right. Like surely that would be a presumptuous thing to say. But as I got revelation that the righteous shall live by faith, I came into a freedom that was so glorious. I used to read the Bible and where it would say, you know, the, this is a promise for the righteous, I'd subconsciously just disqualify myself and think, oh well, never mind, I don't quite, I can't have that yet because I'm not there yet. Because my understanding of righteousness was something that I would achieve and I was always failing. And so I could never label myself righteous because I felt like I really didn't measure up to the definition. Yet praise the Lord, we are not uh, people who are achieving righteousness in our own strength. Nobody was able to do that. 
Not anyone, not the best person in the world has ever been able to measure up to the standard of righteousness of Jesus. So Jesus, who was without sin, came, gave his life so that we could receive his righteousness. It's a free gift and we receive it in exchange for our unrighteousness, for our crookedness. He came to make the crooked places straight, hallelujah. That is, he came to deliver me from me. Hooray, that's happy news. He came to take away a guilty conscience. Hebrews talks about that. It's blood that's better than bulls and goats like they used to sacrifice because this not only covers sin, it actually takes away your guilty conscience. So wonderful. That's what we have. We have such triumphant joy because we can know, praise the Lord, this salvation means I'm truly free. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I'm not unqualified to receive the promises. I'm a co-heir with Christ. <sighs> like it doesn't feel fair, but this is what living by faith looks like. We have to daily remind ourselves, reckon ourselves dead and say, thank you God, you're better than I feel like I deserve. Even though my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart, hallelujah. This is the good news of the gospel. But I wanna share with you a passage of scripture that I was just reading personally myself last night from 1 Corinthians chapter five, starting at verse six. It says this, don't you understand that even a small compromise with sin permeates the entire fellowship just as a little leaven permeates a batch of dough? So remove every trace of your leaven of compromise with sin so that you might become new and pure again. For indeed, you are clean because of Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So now we can celebrate our continual feast, not with the old leaven, the yeast of wickedness or bitterness, but we'll feast on the freshly baked bread of innocence and holiness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's an invitation to live by faith in wholeness and purity. Now, righteousness isn't just a label that we get when we come to Christ. Though we are made righteous by the blood of the Lamb, as we come and we are born again, we get born again, not of a corrupted nature, but of the nature of Jesus. We get a clean heart, hallelujah, made new on the inside. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. That word means crookedness. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. The atonement is such a beautiful, perfect package, setting us free from guilt, shame, and all trace of stain within us. We become clean. But if we sin, if we sin, we have an advocate in heaven who's there saying, I've already paid for it. Come, acknowledge it, let me see it. Let me take that away from you. Because when you compromise with sin, it is like leaven in that it, it bruises your conscience and it starts to steal from you the peace that you've been given by Christ. God wants you to live in continuous triumphant joy. But when you start to compromise, just little compromises, Perhaps not even things that you would technically term sin, but you just know not quite right. When you do it, just that little bit of 
your conscience starting to go off doesn't stay there. It begins to affect your whole life in that if you are consciously starting to compromise with sin, it'll affect your ability to shine and be the witness that God wants you to be. It'll affect your capacity when you pray because if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. But if we are compromising with sin, we're, we're opening the door to condemnation and, and we instinctively then wanna just hide ourselves a little bit more from God. And so God has given us a conscience so that we can walk in true freedom and true joy. A lot of people, they think that righteousness is a set of rules that's gonna, that are just joy killers. They're supposed to steal your joy and make you like, you know, a goody two shoes. That's why I hear people try to tell me. And this is their concept, you know, you become one of those religious people. But righteousness in the new covenant is not about a set of rules. It's about genuine freedom and joy, genuine peace. And walking in righteousness is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do now that you've become a new creation. He gives you power to walk in a way that will tomorrow when you wake up, have you waking up feeling wonderful, having, feeling free, feeling happy, feeling guilt-free. You know, sin can seem good for a moment, but the next day, mm, I shouldn't have watched that movie. And your conscience goes off because the Holy Spirit within you knows that that's not a good thing for you to be feasting on. And he wants you to, to not because he's got a set of rules and you've broken my rules, but because he's saying, hey, I've got so much more joy and peace for you. I've got so much more beautiful things for you to think about. This isn't, this isn't the best for you. It's a compromise that you don't need in your life. Give it to me, acknowledge it. Let me, let me take it and give you holiness and power and righteousness and freedom and peace. Hallelujah. But not only, little compromises, just, they don't just affect you. They also affect, like it says here in the scripture, your whole community. When you start to compromise and sin against your conscience, even if it's like, well, technically I can't find a scripture that says I can't do that, but you know in your heart it's not right, not good. You are, whether you realize it or not, impacting people around you and that your children are watching what you're doing. Your friends are watching what you're doing. And what you're doing is permissioning them to do the same thing. And they might bruise their conscience and go even further than what you did because they don't have necessarily the same level of maturity. So we need to walk wisely and walk in righteousness and holiness in a way that isn't legalistic or, or causing us to lose any joy or pleasure. God's plans for us are exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. He has joy for you. He wants you to be in a family. He wants you to experience love. He wants you to prosper and be in health. He wants you to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. The plans he's got for you are so glorious. They're for your good and for your joy and for your peace in this life. Hallelujah. 
and His ways are so much more wonderful. But the deceitfulness of sin is always trying to entice us, saying there's a quick answer to your happiness when God has continual joy on offer for you. Our glorious God. Romans 8, 34. We've looked at this before, but it's such a wonderful verse. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed. But he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he's conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? This is the will of God for us, that we would continually triumph, that we would walk in triumphant joy all the time. Yes, we have trials. Yes, we have afflictions. But God says, hey, my will is not for you to be uh, downcast and afflicted. My will is to deliver you, to set you free and cause you to run in victory. Hallelujah. This is who God is. He's not the God who's the big joy killer. He's God who wants to give you continual joy beyond what you can hope for. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in perfect harmony with the will of God. Hallelujah. So God's there in heaven looking at you and thinking, oh, I love them so much. And if you're thinking about yourself, well, I'm not a very good person. I don't do very well. I, I, I was doing well at one stage, but now, you know, I've been, oh, I've been doing some things I shouldn't have done. And you know, have you said sorry to the Lord? Yes, I've said sorry to the Lord, but you know, I'm, it's gonna take a while for us to, for me and God to, you know, just get back. And we have this idea that God is somehow like us. Yet the, the truth is, you and I have now been made in the image of God, in that He is the perfect picture, and He is not like our experience of humans. He is perfect love that doesn't change. And when he looks at you, he doesn't judge you according to what you've done. He judges you by the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And when you have put your faith in Jesus the Messiah, when you said, I believe that as I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, he looks at you and says, what's the problem? You're beautiful, come here. Let's go and heal the sick. And you go, but God, I just had an argument. But God, you know, I just, I just compromised. And he's like, what are you talking about? Because when you bring your sin to him, he doesn't remember it anymore. Gone. He doesn't judge you the way you judge yourself. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That's why it takes faith to walk in righteousness. Righteousness isn't just a label. It is something you actively have to believe in every day because it is too good for human understanding. It's you, you, might have, you might have been cranky. Has anyone ever been in a bad mood? You know what, you can live in the hangover of that guilt for as long as you like, but it doesn't please God. And it doesn't earn you any more righteousness. It doesn't give you any more brownie points in heaven. In fact, it's only faith that pleases God. 
putting yourself in the naughty corner and having a little sook. Oh, I was terrible. You know, I, you know, I just don't, I don't think I could just be on the ministry team today because, you know, I don't feel very righteous. Is not the righteous living by faith. The walk of faith says, I don't feel like I deserve to be used by God. But thank God I've been delivered from me. Thank God that his grace is better than I deserve. And thank God that when I confess my sin, he is faithful and just. It's not a process where he takes away my sin a bit at a time. Done, gone, finished. When we sin against someone, if you do something that's really hurtful to a friend, they may forgive you straight away, but you might experience that the relationship is not quite as warm as it was before, that it takes a little bit of, a, of time to warm up again and get a little closer. Has anyone ever experienced that? You know, and you have to try just that little bit harder for them to know, I really, I really was sorry, I'm really sorry, please love me. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that feels like that. But we treat God like that, you know. We do something wrong and we say, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And God goes, given. Yeah, let's go change the world. And we go, oh God, you know, please love me still. I'm, oh God, I really am sorry. He goes, yeah, yeah, what for? You know, that thing, what thing? Oh, you already put it in the sea of forgetfulness. And we waste time, precious time, being self-focused when God says, hey, it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. He is altogether lovely. Even if your heart condemns you, I'm greater than your heart. Hey, I've laid up good works in advance for you today to do. Oh God, I don't, I don't feel ready today. You know, just need a little bit of time. You know, I, I really haven't been burning on fire for God for like several weeks. I haven't really studied the Bible much at all or prayed. I've been, a, I've been in a, I've been in a valley. I've been in a wilderness. God doesn't look at that. He never disqualifies you based on your feelings. He qualifies you based on your faith. You are qualified by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and you having faith in what he's done for you. You know, these little foxes that spoil the vine, they're designed to handicap you with guilt and shame and condemnation. And even as soon as you recognize it and repent, they don't let go easily. They hold on thinking, I'm gonna get some mileage out of this. I'm gonna shut them down for a while. I'm gonna keep them in guilt and shame. I'm gonna keep reminding them about what they did. That's how the enemy works. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And sometimes Christians have more faith in what the accuser of the brethren is saying than what God says, because it feels religious. Yeah, that's right. Remind me of how terrible I am. Let's whip myself a bit more. <laughs> Monks used to do this. They'd, they'd get horrible whips and whip their backs until they bled to try to punish their flesh, to feel like they were somehow paying for their sin. Let me tell you, you cannot pay for your sin. 
Only Jesus Christ was qualified to do that. And only faith in his grace will cause you to become righteous. Hallelujah. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is designed for us so that we can walk in righteousness, peace, and joy, genuine joy. When you think about compromising with sin, instead of having an attitude of, I shouldn't do it because it's not right, remind yourself, I shouldn't do it because it's actually gonna steal from my triumphant joy that I'm called to walk in. It's gonna steal from the joy that I'll have tomorrow morning when I wake up and say, hello, Jesus. Oh, hello, Father, this is the day that you've made. I thank you, Lord, that I'm free. I have a clean conscience because Jesus has washed me clean. I'm not righteous because I've, I've earned that prize or that qualification, but I'm righteous because you've given me righteousness. And thank you today, I accept the invitation to walk in wholeness and purity and power today. Thank you, God, that you're greater than I feel that I deserve. Thank you, God. So rejoice, bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits. He heals all my diseases. He forgives all my iniquity. He's made me clean. Hallelujah. And today, I can be the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing, not because I'm a good person who's earned that qualification, but I've been made good because Christ now lives in me. Some people would even cringe at the thought of calling themselves good. What do you think righteous means? It means actually, as good as God. As righteous as God. The righteousness of God in Christ. It has to be because without righteousness, holiness, no one can see God. God is light and light can have no fellowship with darkness. He cannot be joined with you in relationship if you only have a human form of righteousness. You have to have perfect godly righteousness to be in fellowship with him. And that's the good news of the gospel. Hallelujah. You've been made as righteous as him. Now you just need to educate your soul every morning when your emotions are leaning toward the accuser of the brethren. You need to lean into him and say, thank you, God. I'm gonna remind myself of what I look like. (gasps) I don't look like what the accuser tells me. I don't look like what other people say about me. I look like Jesus because my life is hidden in him. Hallelujah. Today, I reckon myself dead. I don't have to go through a process of trying to kill my flesh or sort myself out. By faith, I come into agreement with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I declare myself whole, clean, pure, righteous, accepted, and qualified for the work of ministry. Hallelujah. It means that you have power to walk in triumphant joy. You can fully expect that God will always lead you in triumph. I'm gonna read that scripture to you as I close. It's so beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the true knowledge of him in every place. This is the blessing that you and I can walk in every day. 
Thanks be to God. He makes all things work together for my good. He always causes me to triumph. And I now get to be the sweet aroma of Jesus to everyone I meet. I don't have to believe the lie that I'm a hypocrite because Jesus has taken my sin and my shame and made me free. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. He's a good God. He's such a good God. But you know, this message of righteousness is something that I think we need to shift from thinking about as a label and a right and start thinking about as an invitation to walk in so that we can experience true triumphant joy every day. Absolute freedom. It's an it's a invitation into a standard of godliness that's unachievable in human effort but absolutely powerfully possible through faith in him. Hallelujah. I'm gonna ask our ushers if you can hand out communion. Praise the Lord. The Bible's good stuff, hey? I encourage you to read it, feast on it. If you're feeling a little bit distant from God, if you're feeling like, oh, it's been a while since I've actually had a disciplined prayer life, Instead of feeling bad about it, do something about it and determine that as you, before you go to sleep tonight, just read a verse or two. Read something. Ask him where to read if you don't know where to read. Read, read one of the Gospels. Start your way at the beginning and work through it. Hallelujah. Mark will teach you how to read the Gospel. <laughs> go to be good. You need to come to the academy. Hallelujah. But read the Bible. Sit down and talk to him. Get a journal out. And just write down one thing that he gives you. I often ask him for chapter and verse. That probably wouldn't work with your system of reading the Bible, but hey, I'm prophetic. Praise the Lord. I heard Chris Valton say the other day that prophets need to know the Bible better than fivefold teachers because they have the capacity to do more damage. That's a good word right there. That's what Chris would say. Hey, by the way, can we pray for Reading? There's um, horrible fires going on in... Um, in Redding, California, where a lot of our friends are. Um, and it's, it's been threatening to uh, overtake the city. So let's just say a prayer right now and decree, hallelujah, the blessing of God. We're gonna ask for rain in that city. Can we do that? Father, we say thank you. Lord, we just lift up the city of Reading and Bethel Church right now. Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bless them and you'd protect them. Lord, we ask for rain. Lord, that you'd help the firefighters, Lord, and that, that this... Uh, fire would be stopped in the name of Jesus. Jesus spoke to the storm and the storm stopped. So we speak to the fire and we say, fire, stop in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, as we hand out communion today, we, we take communion not as a religious ritual. We take communion as an incredible privilege because Jesus said, do this every time you take it. What he was really saying, I think, was every time you eat and drink, remember me. Every single time, like be aware of it all the time. <laughs> and so we take our little cup and our little bread. He didn't have little cups and little pieces of bread, but hey, there's a lot of you. What to do? But we do this corporately as a provocation that you would do it regularly, personally, and as families together, hallelujah. And we do it in, in communion groups together so that we can pray for each other and celebrate together. 
You know, yes, you can enjoy Jesus by yourself at home, but there is power in fellowshipping together. The Bible says, forsake not the fellowshipping of the believers because we come together to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to encourage each other, to bless one another, to pray for one another. So we're gonna take communion together. Um, but before we do that, I wanna ask you, if you're here and you know in your heart you haven't received that gift of righteousness, you haven't acknowledged that I need Jesus as Savior. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was slain for the sins of the whole world. But this offer of forgiveness, of salvation, of righteousness is something that must be received. And to receive it, you've simply got to acknowledge that you need it. God, I, I, I need it. There, I have sinned. In fact, the Bible says everybody in all of history has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except Jesus. So in order to receive the salvation, the gift of fellowship and righteousness, eternal life with Jesus, we need to say, Lord, I need your salvation. Come into my life, make me new on the inside. As you do that, as you acknowledge him before men, God says, Jesus says, I'll acknowledge you before my Father who's in heaven. It's a supernatural crossing over from your old life to a new life. Hallelujah. So if you're here and you say, yes, I wanna respond to the mercy of Christ. I wanna receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I wanna receive the gift that he's given me by paying for my sin with his life. I'd love you just to raise your hand and I'll pray for you before we do anything else. Is there anyone here? that says, yes, that's me. I wanna give my life to Christ today. I wanna to respond to the mercy of Christ. Let me see your hand if that's you. Is there anyone here today? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, I encourage you this week to go and share the good news of the gospel with people. It's so wonderful to see people coming to Christ and see them recognizing the love that God has for us. But it's a gift that's too good to keep to ourselves, amen? Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.